As a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, I got to witness one of the greatest video games of all time kind of take over the market. Uh, you wouldn't believe it, but a plumber, basically, from New York is the main character of the game. And literally, people from all generations played this game. I wore it out. It's called Mario Brothers. I bet many of you joining us right now uh, played the game as well. And I think it's even made some comebacks over the years. It's still considered one of the greatest video games of all time. Certainly one of the best sellers. Now, I love that game. And if you remember it, you're running around getting coins and chasing all kinds of strange creatures and they're chasing you. And there's all of these different worlds full of all sorts of different obstacles. And, and it can be very confusing. And if you're not careful, when you're playing Mario Brothers, you'll forget what it's all about. See, the only way the game makes sense the only way all the different levels, whether it's the, the dragon coming after you at the end of some of the levels, whether it's the water features, or whether you're in these dungeons, whatever's going on, if you don't remember what the game is all about, it won't make sense. And do you remember what Mario Brothers was all about? There's one goal to the game, and it's not to see how many points you can get. It's not to see how many extra lives you could amass. It's also not uh, to see how many of those coins you can get on the game. The point of Mario Brothers was always to save the princess. You gotta save the princess. That's what the coins were all about. That's what the different features and levels you had to go through. It was all about saving the princess and it seemed like everything was in the way. There were all of these obstacles to you saving the princess, but if you understood that that's what that game was all about, then everything seemed to make sense. In the same way, what we're gonna learn today from the Red Sea moment and Red Sea situation of the Israelites during the Exodus, is we're going to learn that this life that we're in, this life that we're all living, has a purpose. It has a point to it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a uh, lover of God, then you are going to need to know this information. And the Israelites are going to teach us this today. Because what you need to understand is that the point of all of life is the glory of God. In fact, one of our great catechisms of our faith teaches us that. It tells us that the chief aim of man, the chief reason we're here, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And what we're going to find out today is that God is all about His glory. And since God is all about His glory, we should be all about His glory as well. And what we're going to find out is that as the Israelites had their backs against the wall, literally, they had the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army bearing down upon them. They began to wonder, why are we here? How did this happen? What in the world is going on? But what they had no idea about was this. God had a plan and a purpose all along. And the ultimate plan was that God would be glorified. In fact, we learned this uh, in this incredible verse in 1 Corinthians 10.31. It's kind of the canopy over today's teaching. It says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do is to be done to the glory of God, including how we react and in how we endure our own Red Sea moments. Today we're going to find out what Red Sea rule number two is and how it points us right at the glory of God.
So last week in Red Sea rule number one, we learned that wherever you are, God has either orchestrated it or He has allowed you to be there. And that can be a very comforting, a very encouraging thing to understand that wherever we are, God meant us to be there one way or the other. And we learn from the Scriptures in Exodus 14 that the Israelites were right where God designed them to be. He led them to what looked like a trap because He was about to work one of the greatest miracles in human history that we're still talking about to this day. Well, today we're going to learn Red Sea Rule number 2. And it points us right at the glory of God. And it's this. Red Sea Rule number 2. Make the goal of your life the glory of God. Make the goal of your life, whatever you're going through, whatever your Red Sea situation looks like, whatever it is, make the goal of your life the glory of God. See, we learned last week that we needed to make a transition from asking why to asking what when we face our own Red Sea moments. When we face difficult circumstances, we're going to have to begin to mature in our faith and in our walk with God. Now, I understand that we're all at different spots in our growth with God, but we all should be moving in the direction of spiritual maturity. And I want you to understand this. This is huge. The questions you ask are signs. They're markers of your spiritual maturity. In particular, when you face Red Sea moments, the questions you ask are signs of the level of your spiritual maturity. And what we want to see happening in our lives as we walk with Jesus and as we love Him and we grow in Him is we want to make a transition from natural questions to spiritual questions. Natural questions when we face Red Sea moments are the same ones that the Israelites had. Why are we here? If you remember, they said to Moses, why in the world would you take us to this spot where we're going to die out here probably without even having graves uh, by the Egyptian army? Why would you do this? And you've probably had the same types of questions, right? I know when I face difficult times, I will often ask, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? Uh, often I will ask, how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? Because often what I'm looking for, and I bet if you're honest, many of you look for the same thing. I am looking for relief from my circumstances when God wants me to look for growth in my circumstances. And when I transition from looking for relief to looking for growth, it glorifies God, which is the point of it all anyway, to glorify our great God. Let's go back to Exodus 14 and let's see what happened because what we're going to find is, is the reason behind God putting the Israelites in such a tough situation. Look at Exodus 14, 3 through 4. It says this, For Pharaoh will say, so God tells Moses why he did this. He says, For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And watch this. And I will get glory. There it is. God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So what we find out here is that God is all about His glory. Not only in the Israelite situations, but listen, also in the situations that we face. Now you need to understand that all of us are going to face Red Sea moments, and I want you to know this. You can count on it. God does not waste our Red Sea moments. He doesn't waste them. He's always growing us and teaching us. He's always displaying His power and character to the world to see like He did here for the Egyptians. And He is always, always, always 
going after His glory. His glory. God is all about His glory. Now, when we face these situations, what we have to understand is that we're going to have to trust God's viewpoint of the situation. Because frankly, we don't always see everything that's going on. We have to trust Him. One old writer said this, when you can't see His hand, trust His heart. Because often we don't see His hand when we're in the middle of these situations. The Israelites certainly couldn't. They panicked. They were scared. They couldn't see what God was up to. But now with the uh, advantage of looking back in history, we see that He had an amazing plan all along. But when you face your situations like the Israelites, you're going to have to trust God's viewpoint of the situation. He sees things you don't see. He's doing things that you can't understand. And you have to trust, and that is where faith comes in. And the more we trust Him, the more we glorify Him in our situations. In fact, I want you to remember this when you face your Red Sea moments. God always works in His own way, in His own time, and for His own glory. Always remember that because He's not always going to do it the way you want Him to. He's not always going to work in the way you wish He would. He's also not going to always work on your timetable. Often God will frustrate us, even as followers who love Him, with the timing of things. But you can always guarantee the same God who knows the way things should be done, He also knows the time in which they should be done. And always that combination that God is working brings Him ultimate glory. In fact, look at Psalm 106, 7-8. through 8. It says this, because the Israelites missed this. They, they failed in their test but we get to learn from their failure. Psalm 106, this is years later, this was written. It says this, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, so they're talking about the story we're studying today, they did not consider your wondrous works. Now watch this. So when the Israelites faced their Red Sea moment, the psalmist writes looking back, and he says, Our fathers, they didn't trust you. They didn't see your hand. They didn't consider how great you were. Look, look what it says. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet God saved them for His name's sake that He might make known His mighty power. See, as we study this story, we know that He's going to rescue and save the Israelites. He's going to open the Red Sea wide open for them to walk across. But He did not do it because they had great faith. He did not do it because they deserved it. Certainly not. They failed in the situation. They did not trust Him. They were frustrated and angry, even though He had promised that He would care for them. And the psalmist points out, God saved them and rescued them, not because they earned it, but because of His name and His glory. It's all about the glory of God. Now, since we're talking so much about the glory of God, and since we see that the reason God put the Israelites in that tough situation against the Red Sea was for His own glory, I think we need to know what is the glory of God. In fact, I've, I grew up in church talking about the glory of God all the time, but I had no idea what the glory of God really was. And I bet many of you are in the same spot. What is the glory of God? As I've studied this for 20 years of ministry, uh, one writer and pastor and theologian that has taught me so much about the glory of God is pastor and writer John Piper. And I could tell you what he said about this, but I would love today for you to hear from him. So I want you to hear now, what is the glory of God from John Piper? What is God's glory? Wow. 
That's a good question because we talk about it endlessly, don't we? And, and we should know what we're talking about. And yet it's very difficult to define. I'll, I'll make a stab at it. And the reason it's so important is because in the Bible, I, I don't know of any truth um, that is more fundamentally pervasive than God's zeal to be glorified. It's amazing, which means his zeal for us so to think, so to feel, and so to act as to make him look as glorious as he is. We don't add to his glory. So we want to make God, God's glory shine. We want to make it visible. let your good deeds, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the goal of my life should be to, to so live that when people know me well enough, they would say, God is glorious. Not John is glorious. What is it? I believe the glory of God is the, the going public of his infinite worth. I define the holiness of God as the infinite value of God, the infinite uh, intrinsic worth of God. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God and human beings are manifesting his glory because we're created in his image and we're trusting his promises so that we make him look gloriously trustworthy, the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God is what I mean by glory. And I base that partly on um, Isaiah 6, where the seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his, and you would expect them to say, holiness. And they say, glory. They're saying, they're ascribing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his. And when that goes public in the earth and fills it, you call it glory. So God's glory is the radiance of his holiness, the radiance of his manifold infinitely worthy, valuable perfections. So I love how John Piper describes the glory of God. It helps me understand. You have the holiness of God, which is the intrinsic value and character and worth of our great God. And then the glory of God is when that holiness, that character, that value goes public. And here's what I want you to understand today. You and I as human beings, as the apex of creation, right? When you look at the creation account in Genesis, you see that God saved the best for last. And on that sixth day, He made humans, all humans of all races and all skin color, all of us together bear the image of God. We call that the Imago Dei. And let me tell you what that means. That that doesn't just mean that we have opposable thumbs. It doesn't just mean that we're intelligent and we can build stuff and, and, and that we know how to enjoy life and all those wonderful things that come along with being a human. What it means more than anything is we have a responsibility because no part of creation has the ability to glorify God more 
than humans. Jesus even said when he entered Jerusalem, the rocks would cry out and praise me if you did not. But here's the difference. Rocks were not created in the image of God, but you and I were. Your kids, they were created in the image of God. Your neighbors, you, yourself, your spouse. We were created in the image of God, and that is a responsibility for all of us image bearers. Because if God is all about His glory, then we must be all about His glory as well. God is concerned about His glory because His glory is the magnification and the personification and the glorification of who He is and His character. See, His holiness is His value, but His glory is when that value is visible. And no one can make the glory of God visible like His own creation made in His image. This means that the way I live my life is meant to glorify God. Isn't that what we read in 1 Corinthians? That everything I do has to become a part of the aim and goal of my life. Remember, Red Sea rule number two, the goal of my life has to become the glory of God. I got to be honest with you for a moment. Most of the time in my life, I think, the goal of my life has been to make my life better, to succeed, or to be comfortable, or to be popular, or to be uh, successful, or to uh, do the things I wanted to do, or to enjoy life. But what we find out, I bet many of you can relate to that, right? But what we find out as we walk with Jesus is that part of our growth in God is that our values change and our goals should change. And what we begin to find is that every other pursuit in life, if you're a believer, will leave you empty. If you're a believer in God and yet you spend your life pursuing your own success, it will leave you empty because that's not what you were ultimately created for and it's not what you were saved for. You weren't just saved from something. You as a believer, you were saved for something and you were saved to make the goal of your life the glory of God, which means the more you glorify God in your life, the more joy you'll experience in your life, the more purpose you will experience in your life. Listen to what Matthew 5.16 says. John Piper alluded to it, uh, these powerful words. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see the connection? The connection there is between us shining our light and the world glorifying God. At times, I'm not sure why God chose to do it the way He did, but this is His choice. God has decided that the main way He will glorify Himself, or in other words, make His greatness and His character known all across the earth, the way He chose to do it is through us. That's right, me and you. People who have a propensity to fail, people who fall and get back up and fall and get back up. Yes, you and I with all of our weaknesses and all of our mess-ups and all of our past uh, problems and present problems, all of us humans who freak out when our backs are against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is coming. All of us have done it. We can, hey, we can make fun of the Israelites, but we can all relate, right? God has chosen us, broken, imperfect, needy humans to reveal and display His glory, to make public and make visible His glory. And He does it in our lives. He does it at ballparks and at work. It's why church scattered is as important as church gathered. Because as we go into this world that He's given us, with all the things that we do, He, he means for us to glorify Him in all 
that we do. A, a few things I want you to understand about how we can glorify God. First of all, we glorify God by our faith. We glorify God by our faith. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. In other words, what the writer here, Paul, is saying is that when they teach the gospel, they are teaching about a faithful God. It's not a we think He might come through, but He might not. It's not yes and no. It's always yes with God because we have placed our faith in Him. And Paul points out that when we have that unbending, uh, unbreakable faith in God, the stronger our faith is in God, the more He gets glory from it. Why? Because the world sees our faith. The world sees how we handle Red Sea moments. And if we come through them, Praising God rather than panicking. Worshiping God rather than worrying. What happens is they begin to say, not that we are great, not that you're great, but that God is great and that He is glorious. So we glorify Him with our faith. We also glorify God with our worship. Now, worship is meant to be a lifestyle. I worship God in everything that I do, as 1 Corinthians taught us to do. And you should as well. We should worship Him in work and play, in what we eat and drink and how we treat one another. Everything is worship. But when we gather as the church and we worship God the way we are online today, that's different because what we do is we also worship God when we lay aside everything else we do and we simply worship Him in song and praise and lifting Him up with our words, with our voices. So we worship God in all that we do, and then we worship God when we set aside all we do to simply focus on Him. We, we glorify God in our worship. And then finally, we need to glorify God in all that we do. In everything that we do, we need to find the ability to glorify God. I, I've always loved to say this. I, I really like a really good steak, Probably many of you do as well. And I like to say that I eat steak to the glory of God. Now that's a joke. It's fun. But there's also a lot of truth in that. Listen, because as Christians, we need to begin to find not just that we glorify God when we're sitting in seats in church. That's beautiful and awesome. And very soon we'll be doing that together again. But we glorify God everywhere and in everything. Again, in all that I do. I am to glorify God because that is what my life should be all about. And the question I should ask every day in every situation is how can I glorify God in this situation? This includes every area of your life. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing today, ask in every area of your life. If it's sexuality, ask how can I glorify God? In other words, how can I show the world that God is valuable in the way I handle sexuality in my life? If you're married, how can your marriage glorify God more? If you have money, and then, then you ask yourself, how do I glorify God in my finances? We all have time that we do something with. We should all be asking, how do I glorify God more and more and more and more in how I spend my time? And on and on it goes. Sometimes it's as easy as walking on a beach and, and looking around and going, God made all of this and I glorify Him. God must be glorified because it's all about the glory of God.
Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive unless the Lord does raise the house in vain. Its builders strive to you who boast tomorrow's gain. Tell me what is your light amidst that vanishes at dawn? All glory be to Christ. All the glory be. So today, my hope is that for all of us, whether we're facing a Red Sea moment, which we either are in one of those or we will be soon, it's just how life works, but not just when you're facing the Red Sea moments, but also every day of your life, begin to make the goal of your life 
the glory of God, whatever your situation is. It's why it's so very important. John Piper, who we heard from earlier, also said this, and it's always been so helpful to me. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I don't want you to think this is some gloomy, uh, down, sad type of idea. This is a glorious idea. It's for our joy. It's why we were created. So when you begin to make this shift in your life and you begin to look for the glory of God in every square inch of your life and you begin to pray the prayer, God, be glorified in me. When you begin to do that, you begin to find the purpose of your life. And in doing so, you find the greatest joy in your life. God is meant to be enjoyed. Our relationship with Him is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. And so many of us, if we have bought into religion and the lies of religion, or maybe you grew up in a church environment that told you that it was all about a list of do nots. I'm here to tell you today, the gospel is more glorious than that. And God has called us to glorify Him in everything that we do, meaning that every square inch of our lives can have meaning and purpose. Even the mundane moments, even getting up and going to work, and brushing your teeth and having dinner and fixing breakfast for your kids and, and being kind to your spouse and loving your neighbor. Yeah, all of that matters because it all can be glorifying to our God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And I would ask this question today. What satisfies you the most in your life? What is it that you think will satisfy you? Because I will tell you that whatever you believe in your heart will satisfy you the most is the thing that you're chasing. It's the thing you're spending the most energy and resources and time on. So just do an inventory right now in your own life. Where is the most energy spent, the most focus, the most money, the most resources, the most brain power? What is the center point of your life? And I will tell you that if it is not your relationship with God and His glory, then you will come up empty. You're walking down dead-end roads. Even the good things in life were not meant to be the purpose of your life, the point of your life. Listen, I, pl I played countless hours of Mario Brothers. But until I realized it was all about saving the princess, it was confusing and frustrating, and I didn't understand what that game was all about. But when I finally saved the princess on that game, I realized what it was all about. It all made sense. And I'm here to tell you that if you begin to dive into the truth of the glory of God and our lives being all about that, It'll change how you see this world. It'll change how you see your tough moments and your good ones. It'll change how you see your failures and your successes. All of it is being woven into this tapestry of the glory of God. And that is a beautiful thing. It gives life meaning. It gives life purpose. I want you to listen to these beautiful words from 1 Peter 4, uh, 10 through 11. It says this, Each of you, so all of us believers, this would be for us today, each of you should use... Whatever gift you have received, so whatever you can do, whatever it is you're good at, whatever, use it to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Here we go. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Now, do, you see, do you see what Peter's saying here? He's saying whatever it is God's given you, whatever your work is, whatever your family life is, whatever your tough situation, whatever your Red Sea moment is, 
If you're sick, the illness you're fighting. If you have had a tragedy in your life, this thing that has happened in your life, God can use it for His glory if you will trust Him with it. And whatever it is, use it to the glory of God that He will be praised. And as we shine our lights in this world of darkness, the world doesn't look to us and, and say to themselves how great we are. The hope is, the goal of our life is, that the world would watch us live and fail and fall and go through pain and go through Red Sea moments and that they would look at our lives and say, in the good and the bad, their God must be great. And in doing so, we glorify God. Because Red Sea rule number two is this. We must make the goal of our life the glory of God. And the question is today, will you make that shift? Will you make that shift? Because listen, if you make your life about the glory of God, this new life is going to cost you your old one. This new way of living is going to cost you your old way of living. You're going to have to sacrifice the way you've always thought about life. But I promise you, this new life in Jesus, this way of living your life, is the life that's going to bring you joy. It's going to bring you purpose because it's the life you were made for to glorify God.